Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning section of the Wednesday, December 7th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, I hope things are looking bright and shiny for you as you head into uh, the holiday season, get deeper into the holiday season. Um, I hope you're setting up for an enjoyment, enjoyable Christmas Eve, Christmas Day church service. Uh, definitely hope you're actually searching to find you don't have one already, a good church to go to this Sunday. And, uh, you know, um, again, I hope this holiday season is treating you well. Um, and and please understand, I'm not talking about the the presents and all that kind of stuff. That's not where I'm coming from. I'm, I, I'm hoping that you're getting good family time. You're getting good time with your kids, um, grandkids, you name it, parents, um, again, getting some good time with them, getting some good family time, some good catching up time. Um, I know the rest of the year can get crazy, but I hope it, I hope you're taking some time even in this crazy part of the year to spend some time there. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. We are going to go ahead and open as is our practice uh, Wednesday mornings. We're going to open with the fourth day morning prayer, true Christianity, Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love. And in thy Son, thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity, not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the spirit, that profits by every correction, and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right, and our devotion for this morning from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the morning for December 7th is uh the text for it is first corinthians 128 base things of the world hath god chosen walk the streets by moonlight if you dare and you will see sinners then watch when the night is dark and the wind is howling and the picklock is grating in the door and you will see sinners then go to yon jail and walk through the wards 
and marked the men with heavy, heavy overhanging brows, men whom you would not like to meet at night, and there are sinners there. Go to the reformatories and note those who have betrayed a rampant juvenile depravity, and you will see sinners there. Go across the seas to, to the place where a man will gnaw a bone upon which is reeking human flesh, and there is a sinner there. Go where you will. You need not ransack earth to find sinners, for they are common enough. You may find them in every lane and street of every city and town and village and hamlet. It is for such that Jesus died. If you will select me the grossest specimen of humanity, if he be but born of woman, I will have hope of him yet, because Jesus Christ is come to seek and to save sinners. Electing love has selected some of the worst to be made the best. Pebbles of the brook grace, sorry, pebbles of the brook grace turns into jewels for the ground royal. Worthless dross he transforms into pure gold. Redeeming love has set apart many of the worst of mankind to be the reward of the Savior's passion. Effectual grace calls forth many of the vilest of the vile to sit at the table of mercy, and therefore let none despair. Reader, by that love looking out of Jesus' tearful eyes, by that love streaming from those bleeding wounds, by that faithful love, that strong love, that pure, disinterested disinterested and abiding love, by the heart and by the bowels of the Savior's compassion, we conjure you turn not away as though it were nothing to, to you, but believe on him and you shall be saved. Trust your soul with him and he will bring you to his Father's right hand in glory everlasting. All right. Now we're going to get into our reading. Our reading's going to start today in Second Chronicles 7. Have a little coffee here. Excuse me. Oh, good coffee with vanilla flavoring. Now, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of Yahweh filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of Yahweh, because the glory of Yahweh filled the house of Yahweh. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of Yahweh upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to Yahweh, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness endures forever. Now the king and all the people were offering, offering sacrifices before Yahweh, and King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. And the priests stood at their posts, and the Levites also, with the instruments of music to Yahweh, which King David had made for giving thanks to Yahweh, for his loving kindness endures forever. Whenever he gave praise by their hand, all the priests on the other side blew trumpets, and all Israel was standing. Then Solomon set apart as holy the middle of the court that was before the house of Yahweh, because there he offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. For the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. So Solomon celebrated the feast at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day they celebrated a solemn assembly. For the dedication of the altar they celebrated seven days, and the feast seven days. And on the twenty-third day of the seventh month, 
He sent the people to their tents with gladness and goodness of heart because of the goodness that Yahweh had shown to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. Thus Solomon completed the house of Yahweh and the king's house and all that had come into Solomon's heart to do in the house of Yahweh and in his house he did successfully. Then Yahweh appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will listen from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. So now I have chosen and set this house apart as holy, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish your royal throne as I cut a covenant with your father David, saying, You shall not have a man cut off as ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot you from my land which I have given you, and this house which I have set apart as holy for my name I will cast out of my presence, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. As for this house which was exalted, everyone who passes by it will feel desolate and say, Why has Yahweh done thus to this land and to this house? And they will say, because they forsook Yahweh, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and took hold of other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore he has brought all this calamity on them. All right. Now Second John 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we received commandment from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. See to yourselves that you do not lose what we accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, so that your joy may be made complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Alright, now Habakkuk 2, and I'm going to take some coffee here. Okay, Habakkuk 2. 
I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the fortification, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me, and how I may respond when I am reproved. Then Yahweh answered me and said, Write down the vision, and write it on tablets distinctly, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It pants towards its end, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. And indeed, wine betrays the haughty man, so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations, and assembles to himself all peoples. Will not all of these lift up a taunt song against him, even satire and riddles against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long, and make himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who make you tremble awaken? Indeed, you will become spoil for them, because you have taken many nations as spoil. All that is left of the peoples will take you as spoil, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. Woe to him who is greedy for evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of evil. You have counseled a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you are sinning against your own soul. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not behold? Is it not, behold, from Yahweh of hosts, that peoples toil for fire, and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of Yahweh, as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than glory. Now you yourselves, you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in Yahweh's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them, because, by which you terrified them, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. What profit is the graven image when its maker has engraved it, or a molten image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own making when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a mute stone, Arise! And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But Yahweh is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. All right, Luke 21. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, and he saw a poor widow putting in two lepta. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. For they all put in their gifts out of their abundance. But she, out of what she lacked, put in all that she had for living. And while some were talking about the temple that it had been adorned with beautiful stones and dedicated gifts, he said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. So they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not deceived, 
For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will result in an opportunity for your testimony. So set in your hearts not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your perseverance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is at hand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the countryside must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath against this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be, so be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth anguish among nations in perplexity, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, and you see it for yourselves, know that summer is now here, is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But be on guard so that your hearts will not be overcome with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who inhabit the face of all the earth. But keep on the alert at all times praying earnestly that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now during the day he was teaching in the temple, but during the night he would go out and spend it on the mount called of, called of Olives, and all the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple to listen to him. All right, that is our reading for the morning section, and we will go ahead and wrap up and close out uh, with a prayer from Valley of Vision, like we usually do. This one is called The Need of Jesus. Lord Jesus, I am blind, be thou my light. Ignorant, be thou my wisdom. Self-willed, be thou my mind. 
open my ear to grasp quickly thy spirit's voice, and delightfully run after his beckoning hand. Melt my conscience, that no hardness remain. Make it alive to evil's slightest touch. When Satan approaches, may I flee to thy wounds, and there cease to tremble at all alarms. Be my good shepherd to lead me into the green pastures of thy word, and cause me to lie down beside the rivers of its comforts. Fill me with, with peace, that no disquieting worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of my soul. Thy cross was upraised to be my refuge. Thy blood streamed forth to wash me clean. Thy death occurred to give me a surety. Thy name is my property to save me. By thee all heaven is poured into my heart, but it is too narrow to comprehend thy love. I was a stranger, an outcast, a slave, a rebel. But thy cross has brought me near, has softened my heart, has made me thy father's child, has admitted me to thy family, has made me joint heir with thyself. Oh, that I may love thee as thou lovest me, that I may walk worthy of thee, my Lord, that I may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. May I always see thy beauty with the clear eye of faith, and feel the power of thy spirit in my heart, for unless he move mightily in me, no in inward fire will be kindled. Amen. All right. Well, that is it for our morning section for the morning of uh, December 7th. Uh, I hope you go out and have yourself a wonderful day. Again, as I tell you um, each, each podcast, each day, go do all that you do for the glory of God. Um, again, I hope you have a great day. I hope this time together has helped to uh, edify you and equip you and lift you up. And, uh, God willing, I pray I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This is for December 7th. Um, let me, sorry, I'm having some technical difficulties. Let me minimize. No, that's not what I wanted to do either. Um, sorry. Yeah, having some technical difficulties. Anchor is wanting to act up and actually it may just be me, but it's not quite doing what I'm trying to get it to do. And that wasn't what I wanted to happen either. Of course. And I'm very, very sorry about this. I don't usually have this kind of technical difficulties here. There we go. Better. All right. So now we're going with our evening episode. Sorry about that. All right. Let's go ahead and open. Um, I hope you had a good day. Um, again, I hope you did as, as, I, as I exhorted you this morning that you did everything you did today for the glory of God. And let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and get started with a prayer again from Valley of Vision. This one is called The Spirit as a Teacher. O God, the Holy Spirit, that which I know not, teach thou me. Keep me a humble disciple in the school of Christ, learning daily there that I that what I am in myself, a fallen sinful creature, justly deserving everlasting destruction. Oh, let me never lose sight of my need of a Savior, or forget that apart from him I am nothing, and can do nothing. Open my understanding to know the holy scriptures. Reveal to my soul the counsels and works of the blessed trinity. Instill into my dark mind the saving knowledge of Jesus. 
make me acquainted with his covenant undertakings and his perfect fulfillment of them, that by resting on his finished work I may find the Father's love in the Son, his Father, my Father, and may be brought through thy influence to have fellowship with the three in one. O lead me into all truth, thou Spirit of wisdom and revelation, that I may know the things that belong unto my peace, and through thee be made anew. Make practical upon my heart the Father's love, as thou hast revealed it in the Scriptures. Apply to my soul the blood of Christ effectually, continually, and help me to believe with conscience, comforted that it cleanseth from all sin. Lead me from faith to faith, that I may at all times have freedom to come to a reconciled Father, and may be able to maintain peace with Him against doubts, fears, corruptions, temptations. Thy office is to teach me to draw near to Christ with a pure heart, steadfastly persuaded of His love, in the full assurance of faith. Let me never falter in this way. Amen. All right, and now the evening devotion. Uh, the text for it is 1 Corinthians 9.22. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul's great object was not merely to instruct and to improve, but to save. Anything short of this would have disappointed him. He would have men renewed in heart, forgiven, sanctified in fact, saved. Have our Christian labors been aimed at anything below this great point? Then let us amend our ways, for of what avail will it be at the last great day to have taught and moralized men if they appear before God unsaved? Blood red will our skirts be if through life we have sought inferior objects and forgotten that men needed to be saved. Paul knew the ruin of man's natural state and did not try to educate him but to save him. He saw men sinking to hell and did not talk of refining them, but of saving from the wrath to come. To compass their salvation, he gave himself up with untiring zeal to telling abroad the gospel, to warning and beseeching men to be reconciled to God. His prayers were importunate and his labors incessant. To save souls was his consuming passion, his ambition, his calling. He became a servant to all men, toiling for his race, feeling a woe within him if he preached not the gospel. He laid aside his preferences to prevent prejudice. He submitted, to his, he submitted his will in things indifferent, and if men would but receive the gospel, he raised no question about forms or ceremonies. The gospel was the one all-important business with him. If he might save some, he would be content. This was the crown for which he strove, the sole and sufficient reward of all his labors and self-denials. Dear reader, have you and I lived to win souls at this noble rate? Are we possessed with the same all-absorbing desire? If not, why not? Jesus died for sinners. Cannot we live for them? Where is our tenderness? Where our love to Christ? If we seek not his honor in the salvation of men. Oh, that the Lord would saturate us through and through with an undying zeal, for the souls of men. Amen. All right. So we're continuing on in our study in Ephesians 6 um, this evening. Um, we've talked about it before. Um, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, um, educate us on the theology um, of the church, the, the ecclesiology, and, and educate, educate us on theologically what our position is, having been saved by Christ. 
Um, and, and then, as I've said before, as we hit chapter four and chapter four through six, tells us what our what our Christian walk should work, look like, that worthy walk that Paul speaks of. Um, and the, the term walk then basic, basically meant the daily practice of our lives, what that daily practice of our lives as Christians should look like. And we went through the different walks, as I've said before. Um, there, there, of course, the worthy walk, which was um, contained the, the united walk, the unified walk, the separate walk being separate from the world, the walk of love, where we were imitators of God, that walk of love, the walk of light, the walk of wisdom, the walk of spirit, um, and that spirit-filled one to the point of where we we are willing we we are willingly in subjection to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and then you know, of course, like I said, we talked through the family section, the wives being subject to husbands, husbands being loving their wives as Christ loved the church, um, children obeying and honoring their parents, parents not, not aggravating. And I forget the, I forget the word. Um, actually I've got the chapter open. Let me back up. Um, where'd it go? Father, parents not provoking their children to anger. And then of course, like I said, we dealt with the, uh, the employment section, the, um, slaves and master section. Um, which really more applies to our employment, employer and employee um, in our day. Um, and then we reach this section about the full armor of God. And as I've said before, if we're truly Christian, if we are truly positionally, as Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us, and if we are truly walking that walk, that separate, that different, that worthy walk that we are called to from Ephesians 4 through 6, then we are in a battle. And I keep saying it, and I know it feels like I'm, you're thinking I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm not. We are in a battle, and we've got to stay aware of that. We have to be aware of that constantly, that we are in a spiritual battle. And for us to hold the line and stand firm, as Paul tells us here, um, you know, that's what he starts at, that preparation for battle. Um, Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and then the might of his strength, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the schemes of the devil. So we are to stand firm. We are to take our position in the battle line and we are to stand firm. Again, it says in chapter 14, stand firm. Um, actually even says it in chapter 13 and having done everything to stand firm. So again, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm that we are to that stand firm is to take our position and hold it and not relinquish it. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what the press does, no matter what society does in trying to cancel us, um, no matter what our job does, because they disagree with what our, what our, um, faith is. They want to tell us how we should do things. I mean, you see that you see, um, artists, cake shops, you name it, because they do not agree with um, gay marriage. They are having to stand firm and they, they are ending up having to go to court because they are standing firm and holding the line. That's what we are to do. That's what we are to do. And believe me right now, the way it's coming down, um, this, this latest bill um, that's trying to do that, the whole... Um, what is it? Equality in marriage or whatever they're calling it. It's, it's, it's actually a uh, disparagement of marriage act is what I'd call it. Um, because it's destroying what actual marriage is. 
And supposedly there were supposed to be some clauses, not that they were going to do anything or, or should have bought any kind of support from true Christians, um, to give us, um, some, some ability to exercise our, our religious liberties and thus extract ourselves from that. They want to throw that. They've already thrown that part out and said, Nope, not going to do that. We want a bunch of Democrats, of course, turn around and do it aside. And I'm, again, I'm not, this isn't a political point. I'm, I'm saying what they did is throw out the only thing that, that, that might've helped us protect our religious freedom, protect our belief system. So we are going to face that. Um, don't be surprised if they start trying to come into churches and tell churches that those churches have to marry same-sex couples, have to marry transvestites, and churches having to say, we will not, and, and the government trying to shut them down. I mean, they did it during COVID. Who says they won't do that now? That's what they're trying to do. They, they are, they are, they are, we are in a battle, so don't mistake that. So to be able to stand firm in that battle, we have to take up the full armor of God. And we've gone through that over the last about six, well, past five evenings. This is the sixth evening dealing with this. So the first three pieces were the girdle of truth, um, the breastplate of righteousness, and the feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we talked to that, those foundational garments that you would put on put on, on your way heading to the battle um, for the using, using the warrior's um, that imagery of the warrior that, that those would be put on that's your foundational garments and then you would take up and we talked about that take up the shield of faith you would take up the shield and you'd put on the helmet and you'd pick up your sword so these are the pieces you're going to put on so we talked about the shield of faith a couple of nights ago and we talked and and it being able to extinguish all the flaming errors errors of the evil one that, that acting out that that both having a strong saving faith but in that behaving and trusting in that faith and truly um, exemplifying and showing um, showing an actual actual acting out of that faith would extinguish those flaming arrows of the evil ones, those, those, those darts coming in, trying to go after us from Satan. Um, and then we also talked about putting on, receiving the helmet of salvation, putting on that helmet of salvation. Um, and not only is it... And the real thing, and, and where we saw in other quotes, it talks about that helmet of the hope of salvation. And that's it, that we hang on. That helmet is that hope of salvation, that not, not that bringing on the helmet of salvation, giving us salvation, we're already saved. He's already speaking to saved people here. But it's that hope of salvation. We're saved. We're saved no matter what happens to us. I, you know, um, Jesus said, you know, to not worry about, the man that can kill you, but worry about that, that, that can, that can harm your soul, not your physical body. Um, and I'm paraphrasing, that's not the right wording, but it basically gets the point across that, that our soul, if we are saved, our soul is untouchable at that point. We cannot be possessed. We cannot be taken over. We cannot be harmed if we stand firm. Okay. We have to stand firm now. Now I'm not saying that if you don't stand firm, you're set, you lose your salvation or any of that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But hanging on to that hope of salvation, it is that hope. We're saved. We have eternal life. We're in Christ. Our name is in the Lamb's book of life. There's nothing we have to fear here from Satan or otherwise. So we've got that hope. So we've got the girdle on. We've got the breastplate on. We've got the shoes on. We've got, we've picked up the shield, 
we've got the helmet on our head. So the final piece, it's not really because we then talk about prayer and we'll get to that. But then we talk about finally the weapon, which is in verse 17. So um, Ephesians 6, I'm going to read from 14, read through all the armor and read through verse 17. So Ephesians 6, 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, having taken up the shield of faith with which you will, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what we're talking about today. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So just in a practical sense, the sword being referred to here is a very small sword. Some somewhere from six to 18 inches long, um, basically a short, a very short sword. Um, it's typically a two edged sword, which, which fits that typical imagery but you notice the author of Hebrews also speaks of it. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What the author of Hebrews here is talking about the double-edged sword that is so sharp that it can pierce all the way to the joint and separate the joint. So in that imagery, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, meaning it can pierce all the way into the root of our soul and divide soul and spirit. You know, it says of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart that the word of God can penetrate to our deepest recesses and can clearly show where we are, where we are in our walk. And the concept of being two-edged indicates an ability to both defend against the attacks of Satan and to attack and destroy the enemy's strategies. It's two-edged. It goes both ways. It is a defensive tool and it is an offensive tool. And when it's speaking of the spirit here, it indicates that the sword comes from the Holy Spirit and from his work in us. Let me be really, really clear about this. Um, excuse me, need a little coffee. Um, I've known a lot of people and I, I happen to have been one of them growing up where I had read the Bible a good bit. Um, I wasn't reading it like I read it now. Um, but it didn't matter how much I read it and how much intellectually I might be able to look at things. I didn't understand it. And outside of the work of the Holy Spirit and you and I, we won't understand it. I, I truly, beginning of 2007, when I came to a saving faith in Christ, the Bible just exploded to me. My ability to read through and, and honestly, the piercing that the, that the, that the, that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God did to myself as it dove deep into me and cut me apart, cut the, cut through the fleshly and bared my soul. And I've seen it happen in others. I've watched people. I watched my wife, the same thing happen. 
um, I've seen it in others that going from, it didn't matter how intellectual you were, how, how much time you spent in intellectual study of the scriptures, you will not understand it until the Holy Spirit does that work. And so the Holy Spirit does that work in us. And we've, when we've got that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, when we use that word as a weapon, and I'm not talking in an ugly manner, we're using it to fight against evil. We're using it um, in cases to save, that, that we're bringing it to our neighbors around us to fight Satan's schemes and to bring these people to a saving faith in Christ. And while we're using the word of God, it is the Holy Spirit using that word of God and penetrating into them, as I just spoke of it, penetrating into me, penetrating into them and bringing them to a saving faith, bringing them, bringing regeneration to them, bringing them to the point of repentance. That is what is is being spoke of here as the sword of the spirit. And that is the way that works. That is how the sword of the spirit works. Um, And again, you know, I, yeah, the wording here is, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, please understand that is obviously speaking of the entirety of the gospel, of the entirety of the Bible. Um, and it, when I, when I first researched this years ago, I ran across something really, really awesome in a, uh, a commentary I was reading. The commentator referred to the sword as an arsenal. And he's right. And, and if you don't know what an arsenal is, an, an arsenal is basically a place where you can go into and pull out any and all and myriad and a huge cornucopia of weapons. The word of the, the word of God, the sword of the spirit is an arsenal. It is an arsenal that you can reach into and pull out the appropriate weapon to deal with each defensive or offensive need. There are 66 books of the Bible. The edition I I typically preach from, which was the Preacher's Bible, um, the NASB Preacher's Bible um, that uh, Grace to You created back in 2018, has 1,279 pages in the Old Testament and 379 pages in the New Testament. There is the appropriate weapon to deal with any and all situations in that arsenal. And way too many people that they've, they've, they've lost, they've lost their trust in the sufficiency of scripture. The scripture is wholly sufficient for our battles against Satan, for our bat, our spiritual battles in this world. We have to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the word of God. We have to, there, there, there's no excuse for us not to, that is the key tool. We have that and prayer. And those are the only weapons we have. We have the, the full armor of God. We have the sword of the spirit and we have prayer and that's it. Those are our tools and they're all we need. They are all we need. We need nothing else. We definitely don't need anything that is fleshly. And if we're going to stand firm, and hold the line in the spiritual battle we are surely in, 
we have got to put on the full armor of God. We have to put on all those foundational garments, the girdle, the breastplate of righteousness, and the, the shoes um, of the gospel of peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace. We have to take up the shield of faith and put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the spirit. We have to so that we can glorify God as we are called to do. That is our chief end. I've, I keep saying it. That's because we forget that. We don't exhibit that in our society anymore. Even those, even among those of us that call ourselves Christian, we truly owe it to our Lord and Savior to be obedient and hold the line. And to do so, one of the most important pieces is the sword of the Spirit. And so I would exhort you today to pick up that sword of the Spirit. The Word of God and prayer are the only things you need. Don't let the word tell you any the world tell you any different. It is all you need. So as we close out this part, this whole section that has been about the full armor of God, I, I would join Paul in exhorting you, exhorting all of us and praying that we would all put on the full armor of God and that we would never take it off and that we would stand firm and we would hold the line in the battles until Christ's return. All right. Let's go ahead and we're going to go ahead and close out as is our practice with the fourth day evening prayer. God all sufficient. King of glory, divine majesty. Every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine and its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, and individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity, thou hast provided us a savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions, have mercy on us, we are weary, give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked and und unchecked, undismayed, knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, well... I hope you have a wonderful evening, and God willing, I will see you in the morning. Have a good one. God bless.